Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Soundmind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Mr. Shannon Forrest. everyone welcome to the modern drummer podcast i'm billy amendola and uh david frangioni's feeling a little under the weather today and plus we got him working very hard so um he's not gonna be able to join us but i um i'm excited about this one i'm, I'm always excited about our podcast because uh, if they you know I, I hope that you get the information that you're looking for i hope you learn something i hope you have fun and enjoy it you know a little bit of everything so today, I'm, I'm especially proud to introduce Shannon Forrest. Hey, Shannon. Hey, everybody. How are you, Billy? Great to see I'm you, I'm good, man. Good to see you. Yeah. So for those who may not know, Shannon is, you know, besides being one of the, the greatest groove drummers on the planet, he's also 
an excellent engineer and producer. So we're going to dig into a little bit of his career. And I forget what, when, what issue you were in that I did your cover story. I, I, I think it's over 10, more than 10 years. No, it's not that far. Well, the first time we did, we did one that's been about that far back, but I think the, the, the cover was about three years ago. Yeah, well, that was the one. Yeah, that's the one that you did with uh, Mike Dawson. Because oh right, I wasn't, I, yeah, I wasn't available. I wasn't available, and I didn't want right. to waste time. I wanted to get it done. No, I appreciate um, yeah, yeah. And and that's and that was due to you going back out on tour with Toto. So right. um, besides being like first class um, studio call guy for like wow, twenty five years in Nashville, at least if if not more. Um, when did you move to Nashville? Because I know originally you're from South Carolina, correct? Right, right. Yeah, we, we moved uh, when I was uh, starting my freshman year in high school. We moved here uh, to Nashville, 87. And my dad had a, a, a studio in South Carolina and, uh, and he picked up that facility. And, and like everybody here in Nashville, every other house at the time or every other, you know, uh, building on Music Row had a studio in the basement or something, you know, so he, he took all of his equipment and converted a garage and built a nice place here. And that's how I grew up here. Yeah. Since 87. Yeah. I remember, I remember when we first met, you were telling me that you grew up, your dad was a professional engineer and successful in the business. And that's yeah. kind of how you, how you learned and from just hanging around the studio and watching and very that fortunate. Was, yeah, that was that was a cool. That was, that's the the best way to learn, actually, just by watching. Yeah, absolutely. So now, um, so when you got actually the way we got introduced was um, Michael McDonald turned me on to you. Okay. Way way back when I interviewed Michael for a Modern Drummer for a Different View, um, he, right. I, I just said to him, you know, any upcoming drummers that you like, and. He mentioned you, and I at that time I wasn't familiar with you. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't into the Nashville country scene yet, you know. So um, I looked you up, and then he mentioned you again when I saw him, and I was like, okay, I got to find out. Then I heard a couple of records that you played on. I, I wish I, I I forget the one song. It was an artist that really didn't get what he what he deserved, but the groove was just it. It just blew me away, and it reminded me of a Jeff Picaro type groove and a feel like Jeff. And this is way, way before you were even involved with, with Toto. Yeah. So um, let's jump now into Toto because that's the last thing that, that you were doing. And you were a band member and then toured with them for what, four or five years? Oh, I was there for six years, but to be clear, I was always a sideman. I was never like a member of Toto. You know, so there's a, a bit of a delineation there. And I would just say, the thought that came to mind when we talked yesterday about what uh, any perspective I can add in that regard. I feel like when you're, a, when you are a hired musician, you know, working musician to get a gig, if it is in that context where uh, for whatever reasons, you know, the, the, the Toto guys have been through so many incarnations of the band and litigation and things that just, they were simplifying things and, and, and keeping it between those original members uh, so far as, you know, what my time there was about. But when you are hired on uh, as a side musician, you know, five, six years is, is kind of feels uh, uncomfortably committed sometimes, you know, because uh, people start to get out of sight, of mind, out of sight, out of mind situation. So just a word, you know, to, as people are you know, approaching their career, um, 
and that not taking anything negative away from my time with Toto was fantastic. But just when you displace yourself out of being hireable or approachable, people start to kind of think differently. They make assumptions like, well, he's in Toto or he's only does this or those kind of things. And, and when you're looking at the long you know, trajectory of a career and going, hey, I want to be doing this for 30 years if I'm lucky or whatever, there's some thought process that goes in because through, you know, over time you will get other offers while maybe you are playing. And some, you just need to be mindful of those things and understand the trajectory of a gig. Yeah, that, that's good advice because we always, I always, when I speak to people and I interview them, you know, a lot of times we talk about, well, you think everybody's friends, you know, when you're hired done, especially if it's like a superstar artist that it's really the artist. And then the whole band is just, you know, if you, if you get a chance like John Blackwell to stay with Prince for 14 years, that's right. a different story, but he wasn't, he wasn't actually a band member. He was still a, a hired gun. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. we, in your case, it's even harder, I guess, because you, you're, you're doing studio work and you're doing tons of studio work. Now you're taking away from that. And like you say, you're out on the road. People think, well, yeah, well, I'm not going to call Shannon. I'll get so-and-so because he's not around. Yeah. He's going to be out with the band. He's in total now. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need the studio work, you know, or whatever. Right. People, all that. All of yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, I was fortunate enough to see you a bunch of times with uh, yeah. Toto and yeah. not to take anything away from Simon um, because I respect Simon. I love Simon. Amazing. Um, and Good. Keith Pollock. I, I love Keith, you know, and yeah. Keith. Yeah. But to me personally, and you know, I've, I've said this before and I've gone on record as saying this, I mean, as far as you being in Toto to me was the closest that I felt that I was seeing the band with Jeff. You know, that that's just that's that's just the way it was for me. I appreciate that. I, there, there's different there's different ways to approach a gig. And I guess, you know, when I've come in to the to things I've done and I haven't done a, a vast amount of touring over the years, very little by you know comparison to how much time I spent in the studio. I've only maybe been out on tour combined four years, not tours, but this you smash all the all the dates together, maybe four years out of 25, 30 years of working have I been on the road. But, you know, my approach to that, first and foremost, obviously I was a big fan of the band, you know, and, and, and Jeff was my favorite drummer still to this day, you know? And so obviously walking in, you know, to that and Simon having been there for the time that he was, it's, you know, everybody's you want to make it your own and, and then you're talking about getting into real subtle things because when you're stylistically influenced by someone and then you step into the music that that person played then there's you know it's going to take a pretty uh, uh developed ear to understand the the depth of your own identity you bring while you're trying to pay homage to the to the spirit of the music you know what i mean and sometimes that gets marginalized or people have offhanded things to say about it, or even when that comparison or, or that very lofty and, and, and uh, you know, uh, just to be mentioned in the same breath is, is sort of something I can't even process. You know what I mean? When you get that close to, to people that are that influential to you. But, you know, it was a calculated thing for me to play that gig that way. You know what I mean? It, I felt like that's what the, the you know, after a, a period of time, the closest that I could try to give the original intent of those, songs uh would have the best would translate the best and and as you know i think on on some level uh, the band was really connecting well 
over the, over the course of those years, the trajectory of, of, of drawing new, new ears to the band and, and do and things. I think it's just because as a collective, you know, set list when people would come check out the band, it was just more toward the origin of what the band had sounded like. And they made phenomenal records with Simon and Simon's amazing. I have nothing but massive respect for him. And they carved out a whole new, a different sound with him. But, but for my time there, it was really about keying in on the classic yeah, that, that, that's what I was going to say. When you were in the period of, of the band, that's they were doing all the songs that their right. hits, Auto 4 and all the stuff. Yeah, all the stuff that Jeff was on. So, yeah. which, which, and you being such a fan, obviously, you, you played like him, even, even if it was subconsciously, you took from him. So, it yeah. really brought, you know, it, it really brought that element, that Jeff feel and groove that well, you I, had I, I, already. I appreciate that. And I'll say one thing to to the audience, maybe if they if if some are less familiar with Jeff, then they might realize, even if you're not really familiar with Jeff Carl, you're aware of his music because he he played and orchestrated and arranged parts in such a way that people from all different genres were influenced by hearing him play, whether they knew it or not. You know, right. And the other thing, when you walk into a gig. Uh, depending on what the artist wants, you know, and even the guys, Toto guys, we go, hey, make it your own, make it your own. But there's always some nuance to that, man, because if you just start making it too much your own, you'll get a look like, what the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, right. Not like that, you know what I mean? But uh, but the thing, the real beautiful thing about Jeff that I love so much is, is I, you know, we're all lovers of music first. And for me, the the instrument drums, like when I'm playing the drums, if I'm just doing what I want to be doing, you know, getting deeply into a groove in a pocket is the most gratifying thing. While other people are playing around me, and and, and ideally uh, a world class vocalist is singing a great song. You know what I mean? That's right. that's that's my. I love playing with other people. I, I, I uh, you know in other contexts, and I've tried to expand the scope of my my uh, you know stylistic you know uh, reach so that I can play with other musicians like. Uh, like a Robin Ford or somebody like that, you know, that's like, you don't want to be left outside the conversation. So you always want to be growing in whatever way that you can. But back to the, my point with Jeff was when you play certain people's music and the same thing happened when I played with the, with the Dukes of September, which I saw you when I was with those guys as well. Um, sometimes the drum part is compositionally integral. It's not just the drums and the rhythm of the tune. It is the part that, you know, is the counterpoint to the chord movement. It's, you know, and Jeff played things in such a way, it's hard to deviate from his original uh, orchestration of a part and not have the composition lose impact, you know? Right, right. Even down to the fills, where there's an economy to playing fills around a vocal, around a transition, there's only so much space. And he always had this, you know, this beautiful uh, command of understanding and depth to, to play never too much and never too little, just like always the right part, you know. Yeah. And even, in, in, even inside his fills, there were there was composition. Right. Know? That's what that's what I was gonna say. He brought the song up and down and weaved in and out of those yeah. verse, chorus, bridge, yeah. you know, perfectly, like you said. Yeah. Absolutely. For those who don't know, the uh, the Dukes of September that was Donald Fagan, Michael McDonald, and uh, Bob Skett. and of course. Jeff played with, with, with all three right. of them. So you were playing yeah. Jeff's parts even before Toto, because I think that yeah. was in 2012. Yep. Before the yep. whole Toto. So and you like, 
Yeah, you, you to me, you, you like that's why the first night that I came to see you with Toto, um, I, I just sat there and, and I got a tear in my eye because to me, I saw Toto before. I unfortunately, I never got to see them with Jeff. Um, but you know, I, I just sat there and said, wow, this is the closest that anybody's ever played like Jeff that, that I've felt and seen. So, and I appreciate that just as a matter. It's a funny thing when, you know, uh, amongst musicians, when comparisons are made and it can be sort of a taboo or a touchy backhanded compliment. And I know that's not where you're coming from, but, but it's, it's the, you know, when you, when you, uh, aspire to, to groove, you know what I mean? And, uh, Believe me, I, I, I know exactly where the real nuance lies that I can't, you know, that's elusive to me, you know, about Jeff and all the great groove drummers we love. Hopefully you can get in some relative perspective where you have your own brand, you know, but uh, but uh, Jeff's thing is still just. Uh, yeah, and, and there's, there's other there's other things that you've done that don't yeah. sound anything like Jeff. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, of course. Um, but um, so we're talking about touring before. I yeah. the only other person I know that you ever toured with was Faith Hill, like right. in the early days, right? That was the first. Like so, just to give the, the you know some of these uh, you know any interested you know anybody checking that out. Basically, when I was in Nashville, I, I wanted to play sessions uh, from the time I got out of high school. I wanted to be recording. I wanted to be in the room uh, making documents of something and trying to bring something to the to to whatever the genre happened to be. The last place really that had a thriving, you know, real session scene that was just, you know, a, a volume of work, you know, uh, density of work was Nashville compared to other places now. I talked to a couple of people. I met David Hungate right around when I turned 19. And, you know, I probably didn't have the personal, you know, uh, courage and, you know, 
developmental skills to move out to LA as a 19 year old kid, being a guy from easily South Carolina and then Nashville, which is a very small, at the time was a smaller city compared to right. other bigger. I, I was going to, I mean, we'll get to that about how much it's yeah. changed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so there was this, uh, you know, at that time playing in the studio, uh, there weren't many live gigs in country music that had the musical uh, depth or, or, or breadth that, that would be interesting or even necessary to bring somebody out. Faith had just previously had Benny Caliuta in her band, you know, for a little uh, phase of that part of her career. So walking into that gig felt a little bit more like a, uh, you know. A little more prestigious. Yeah, a little bit. You know what I mean? So so that was the first Important. one I did. And like, like this is a serious, like, you know. These are choices you make. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there have been other offers to go out, and I said no, you know. Right. Right. And and that one looked, turned into something great, man, because uh, between Faith and then Tim, Tim and I have a great relationship. I did some touring with him. We've been making uh, the last few of his records here in my studio, you know. So it's it's all those things kind of develop in, in other ways that you don't see, you know, uh, if you're just reading credits and kind of go, what's this guy been up to, you know, it's right. relationships, it's, it's long-term time that you spend with folks, you know? Yeah. And, and the career that, I mean, you built out yourself a, a really nice career in Nashville. I mean, you wind up doing your job and, and basically like everything, you can't plan. You don't know what's going to happen. Everything happens organically. One person you meet leads to another person. And then I know Michael was raving about you. Um, and, you know, and, let's face it, Michael's like, when it comes to, like you said, playing music and playing yeah. with people that create music, Michael's of course, one of the best singers, one of the best songwriters. So, you know, yeah. you, having somebody like that, you know, say, hey, who's the hot new cat, you know, coming up, that's that's a big compliment. And Michael, and if anybody's out there, you know, interested, if you check out this record called Wide Open that Michael and I made together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you produced that, correct? Yes. For, I, I mean, I recorded, mixed it, produced it, did it here in my studio. But, but the bigger thing is, is it's, it's a better look into me as a player maybe than a lot of my discography. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it really, I'm, I'm proud of that record on a number of levels just as a producer and the way it sounds, but also just playing. And for context to anybody that does go check out that record, because of the process and how it was made, there's literally not a single punch in on the drums or an edit anywhere on the entire record. So everything you hear on that record from my chair was played and the way that you hear it, it is exactly what transpired. And it's all in one complete pass because I was recording the tape and engineering myself. And if I had to stop, I had to roll back in here, rewind the machine, jump back out to the drums. So there was, you know, I, I spent some time on some of those tracks, getting them to where they are. Uh, but, you know, just as an interesting note, and there's a, the, the record is very rangy, eclectic in what it is musically. There's even the last tune on a, a bit of a fusion take on something. So it's a, right, right. It's a fun listen if you, if you care to go check it out. Yeah, now that, that was a good record, and it did sound, it did sound really well. It did Thank sound you. good. Thanks. So uh, one last thing with, with Toto, but um, yeah. playing as with, with percussionist Lenny Castro, I mean, one yeah. of the best percussionists in the world. So let's, look, let's give Lenny a little, hey, Lenny. Oh man, um, shout out to Lenny. We, we were just, uh, he and I talk every day. I told him, he said to tell you hello. Uh, we have remained close. I mean, literally we have 
I come up here with, with my Sunset Sound coffee mug. I turn on FaceTime about noon when I get up in here rolling. He's getting up out in LA and we have a cup of coffee together almost every day. You know, the obvious thing when you're playing with a percussionist is there's more density of notes just to be completely analytical about it. There's only so much space. So it's a give and take thing. Some things reinforce what you're playing on the drums. Sometimes it's, you know, the tambourine is a layer of the backbeat. The slap on the conga is a layer of your backbeat. You're not going to displace those things, but fills, uh, transitions, subdivisions internally and things you know those things tend to work together and then if you get really down to the nuance of it it's like you're listening to how that person interprets the swing even inside straight 16th notes and things like that you're reacting to each other i mean lenny is you know in my mind that you know he's the gold stand he's my best friend he's just you know, I loved him before I ever knew him, you know, and, and for that groove. So Lenny does that. Uh, he's such a malleable guy. He can make, he can groove to anything or anybody. You know what I mean? He kind of makes anything sound like it's grooving to him, you know? Right, right. But, um, you know, it's like getting to play with Lenny sort of doesn't quite tell the real world story that most people are going to be dealing with, you know, because it, it's, he's an artist uh, in, in the form of, making anything feel good you know and, and adapting some guys are more you know you're going to be more rigid about what they do and they're bringing sounds to uh maybe to the composition it's always nice to have percussion even if it's a cowbell just rocking through something or a tambourine it brings more another energy and another timbre and voice to it but sometimes those guys are less of a nuanced groove thing and you kind of understand and adapt to that but mostly playing you know when you have percussion it's just about you know not not playing too many notes you know uh, right. it's like, like, you know, yeah it's like playing double drums too it's the yeah, same exactly. it's the same concept it's like well, playing yeah and the thing i would say about lenny just as a, a as a for any listeners out there i would tell people a lot of times that, that opposed to anyone else I ever played with lenny's damn near like playing with two drummers it, because his length and width of note and pocket and 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 the the, the intensity that he plays with, it, you know, it carries almost as much weight and it does in its own voice as drums do, you know, and he thinks so 
he thinks so part related and song related that you know you can't get away from the orchestration of his parts so that's come becomes where he becomes a, almost as important of a voice or as as the drums because he's not just sprinkling percussion on top of it, it you know the, the difference that makes a guy like lenny have the longevity and the discography he has and i appreciate this because i've hired him to work for me as a producer when you're making records and and therefore when you take those records and you perform them live in front of an audience you know there's composition and everything in my mind and we can get more into this as a drummer everything has to be what i call a hook or what we refer to as a hook if you're playing something your part has to have value you can call it what you want when you're making records you, we call it hooks because it's something that elicits more feel out of more response out of people. It's like you're setting that hook, you know, everything Lenny plays just instinctively is listening and listening for gaps, listening to vocal, even subconsciously and answering to something that elevates the internal tension and release of a part. So it's like, man, it's such a, to play with him, it takes it to another level. It's not just, oh, somebody's subdividing the 16th notes with a shaker that feels good. It's like, no, there's right. internal, you know, things going on that are making that a hook, you know? Yeah, no, that's that was a highlight of the show when you two guys take your little spot. You know, yeah. we all know the old joke. You're like, oh, drum solo, I'm going to go get something yeah. to eat, go get, you know, but everybody stayed for that because that, that that was a highlight between yeah, you two. I will say this, man, when we talk, yeah, uh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, you, it, work, it just worked together so well. And there's an art to that. Like you said, you don't, you know, you have to come up with parts that are a hook. Some people will say, oh, he played, played the same part through the whole song, same conga part through the whole song. Well, that's all that was needed. Right. Right. And it's where you put it, man. It, you know, when, when you can put it in a place that feels, again, talking to groove drummers, you know what I mean? That right. You make something feel that good and you can give the listener that measure, that feeling of that measure as many times over and over as possible. You, you, you're bringing value to every measure you play. It's not simple. And it's why not everybody sits down and starts playing a groove and you want to stop and listen. You know what I mean? It, it, it's just coming from a deeper place, you know? Right. And there's, there's a handful of guys that, you know, that we, we know, you know, out there that, that, that they do that. But yeah. Lenny is definitely, you know, he's been oh, doing man. it of forever. He's just Paul one of them. I've worked with and all these, all these cats, right? You yeah. I mean? Luis Conti and, uh, yes. you yes. know, uh, this guy, yeah. there's so many, I don't want to mention to people because I'll leave somebody out and then we'll, Right. We'll be, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, yeah. but I mean, there's so hurt the feelings for you, man. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lenny. I love them all, though. So now, um, let's talk about uh, gear. You're using, yeah. uh, you're still with Peisty, right? Peisty for like 25 years almost, you know. Um, and, and, I mean, you know, I can do the sales pitch for those guys, but it's, it's, everybody has what they like and everybody has the brands that they're familiar with and everybody out there. There's so many manufacturers making great stuff these days, but what I, what I'm comfortable with, and it's an understanding of Pisces, they have enough varying products now that I have, you know, maybe five or six different sets of things that I move in and out of, depending on what the music is. And I'm never at a loss. Right now, what I'm playing primarily in the way that I'm mic'd up in my room, and a lot of this has to do with volume of cymbals and how they uh, balance to the kit and balance to your dynamics and velocities and how that shows up in overheads. All these things are choices I make, studio or live. 
you know, you get real heavy cymbals and you hit them harder than the, they're louder in the microphones than the drums are. And for me, overheads are an overhead picture of the drum. They're not cymbal mics, right? So, uh, so right now what I'm playing is the 602 22-inch Modern Essential Ride, which is the, the cymbals that Denny had a hand in uh, designing with Peisty. I'm using the 15-inch Modern Essential Hats, and, and that's the weight and balance of those cymbals and how they sort of just interact inside the uh, overheads and just live in the room. I mean, what I'm saying overheads is if you stand in the room with me playing, there's balance to all of it. It's not like you're going, gosh, gosh, the symbol's killing me. And when right, I'm playing, right. it's all very balanced. And then I'm using the, uh, there's a, uh, the 2002s, um, they got a black label on them and they're called Big Beats, right? And they're a bit softer, I think, of a, of a hammering process or something than the standard 2002s. And so I'm using a couple of those crashes and they balance real nicely with that. So that's kind of what I'm using right now. But yeah, Piesty, I use their stuff out of the 20 series. Uh, if I get into something that's somewhere between jazz and Ringo, right? I've got right. this uh, uh, a big 22 inch uh, dark crash ride out of the, uh, crash ride, I think, maybe not even dark crash, crash ride. Uh, and and it's, it's one of the best sounding jazz ride symbols i found but then when you shoulder hit it you know and treat it like that it's it's got a nice crash and so when i switch to that i switch my primary crashes out to something else typically into the uh, 20 series uh you know like 20 inch crash in there and and they just balance volume and sustain and dark wise you know with each other right. and then pearl drums yeah the pearl uh master works uh it's the maple gum uh shells that are just they just knock me out i mean it's it's they're really fantastic I mean, is that the they, same kit that you were using live yeah and uh i have two of those here i have one when they first laid those drums on me it was a prototype and uh john those guys can tell you i they brought them out here for me to test test out and i didn't let them take them <laughs> you know they said you can't have these. you're gonna have to get order more for other people to check out because in case you mess this up in the meantime i'm keeping these and i still have them here they have little you know little labels on them where they came from pearl as to what they were supposed to be but i, I they made me a few drums to match so that i could round out the sizes i wanted but uh, yeah baby since i've been back off the tour here in my studio uh i've been playing that that black lacquered kit that i had out with the guys uh in toto there for a couple of years and they're they're just, I mean, the thing that I have here, you know, the speakers don't lie. People, you know, everybody has their own, you know, um, personal tastes, but, uh, you know, I have a lot of different things and I have everything that I have is, is on Pearl Tom mount. So I can swap all my drums in and out off the stands, which is nice, you know, if I want, if I do want to change something. Uh, but primarily what I have is I have that kit out down for the 90% of what I do. And I have a mid sixties Rogers kit that I swap out when I when I want to go somewhere a little more different. But I can get a long way on these pearl drums with some tea towels and that I can I can fake you, I can give you a faux vintage drum sound that sounds better than you think your vintage drums sound. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm Shannon Forrest, and uh, welcome to my studio here in Nolensville, Tennessee. We're gonna be checking out the Masterworks studio recipe today.
having grown up in the studio, which I was very fortunate to do, my dad's a, a really talented musician, has great ears, and that's the thing, you know, there's a learning curve to uh, getting sounds, right? What, what we perceive at the drum versus what translates through the microphone are very different. the thing about the uh, studio recipe here when I tune the drums up there's no surprise it comes right through the microphone exactly like what I'm expecting you know chance to play the, the, uh, the studio recipe here, I almost instantly looked and said, you can't have these back. I knew what I was hearing, you know, in my room, uh, under my mics, you know, and doing my thing. And the second I hit those drums, it was like, bang. That, that's what I was, that's what I would have done. They have a little more extended low end to me, which was like would be the one thing that I would have always wanted to uh, get out of the six ply shell. Again, I was like, well, these are not good. <laughs> these can't go back. I have to have these because what if these are the only ones? And as it turns out, having this other kit here today, they're super consistent. So talking about the studio now, that's a beautiful board behind you. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. And um, I know I remember when you was when you God, how long now have you had the studio? Because I remember when you yeah. first it's right. 15, I think first, at, that's right. Because that's when we when we first started get met, you were just starting to build the that's studio. Right. That first interview I was working on it, what that we did. Yeah. Uh, that was so I started building this place in 2007. And it took me uh, a year and a half uh, to get, well, nine months, I built the control room in here that you kind of see first so that I could move my gear in and be mixing and doing other things here. And then I built a live room uh, after that. So it was nine months on that part of the room, nine months on the live room with the ISO booths and things. And then I have like a lounge upstairs and a bathroom and some other things. And that took another year and a half just to, because once I was working, I had no more time. And because of the budget constraints and things, I built this place myself with a friend of mine, you know what I mean? So once I started working, I, I put the tools away as much as I could. Yeah, I remember you, I remember you telling me you were doing a lot of it yourself. And Oh man, yeah, I could, I don't, I look around here and I go, I could never do this again. I, I can barely <laughs> make contact with the mental place I was in when I did it, but it was like sheer, it was a goal, you know, from my childhood, like I wanted my own I wanted my own wheels, man, you know? Yeah. And, and, and being a, and it, being you are an engineer and a producer, you should have your own studio because yeah. people are going to come there and you're going to work and why not be comfortable, be at home? I mean, that's, yep. that was, a, that was a brilliant move. And you mentioned to me yesterday, I would just say to, to, uh, you know, the impetus of building this room, you asked me about my band, my original band going back to those years ago. This place was really built for that. It was, it was supposed to be a facility for me to make rock records with my my band, and that just sort of 
like so many things, it, it, there was good en energy and intent there, but the end, end result or the final destination you can't ever really see coming, you know? Yeah, um, what, what, was, what was the name of the band? Well, there was a few different things because when we played the Modern Drummer Festival, I brought one incarnation of some guys that was working up to that. And we never really got a band name on that. Um, really, the other band we uh, had a, uh, was called 80th Action. It was sort of that like was the I one. Had. That was the one. Cause yeah. I remember there was there was one song reminded me a little bit of Zeppelinish a little bit. Yeah, right. That stuff was kind of in that world a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that was a good record, you know. But like everything is, you know, in in the music business, there's you can't plan. You don't know what's going to be a hit, what's not going to be a hit. You know, it's just, right. you know, and well, then. It maybe it was, you know you didn't get a deal because then you might not have gotten to do all this studio work and being told one thing i would say because people ask a lot of times to those of us that are inside the business like how do you get started how do you get from a to b but the one thing that i keep coming back to when i tell people i know firsthand and have experienced like uh the best things happen when you're doing when you're doing your it's just like the music you want to make like you know when i was first up for for the toto guys they knew about me from you know various things we had met before and you know i was i remember exactly where i was i was working at the castle uh and and the possibility of playing with those guys in 2014 was floating around and uh i thought what the heck you know you don't know what the what exactly what the dynamics are i knew page page had played some parts for me on david on uh, mike mcdonald's record i just sent him my band some tracks from my band, right? Which was the most of me being me of anything he'd ever gotten from me. And man, the response I got back from David, it was like, that was the shit. You know, it was like, not my discography of playing sessions on some stuff. Like, well, if you listen into the context of this, you might hear something that you recognize. I gave him my music, you know, head on as to what was my point of uh, uh, contact with what I call the muse, you know, like make sure right. you... And every time I've had a, 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 a made another uh, a connection or point of contact in my career, another another turn, uh, uh, you know, is when I get back in touch with doing what I want to be doing musically. Sometimes, sometimes that stuff doesn't land on its feet, but the energy behind it always reaches someone else's ear more so than when you're reaching that ear through someone else's music, you know. And and, that, and also that that was you. That was your true self. Right. So he's right. hearing, right. So he's seeing your vision and he's, he's getting like exactly you. Right? Identity, right. Yes. yes. Cause exactly. he knows, he knows that you could play in the studio. He knows you can make records that goes without saying, because you've yeah. proven that, but now yeah. he's hearing like your creativity and, and you as from your heart and soul and what you're all yeah. about. So go back to the modern drama festival. Um, that was 2010. I know, man, <laughs> you know, so like a week feels like a day these you know these, these I, I i still can remember though that day pretty clearly though it's like oh, yeah. you left an impression on a lot of people um oh, man. you know it was a great performance the band was great i appreciate that I, I, you'll probably remember um you know as i had i'd never done i'd literally never done a clinic before i'd never spoken right to I, I i know you were a little hesitant when we, oh, when we approached you because of, you were a little nervous about well, I don't really talk. I don't do clinics. I don't. Right. So again, if I can give anything back to the audience or anybody that might be listening to this, uh, I was so uncomfortable with the concept, but I felt compelled to do it. I was obviously there was a gratitude to you guys for even considering me, 
but my own, you know, reluctance to step out there and do that. And it was in a, at the time, you know, it's like, well, this is a whole avenue and artery of things that I really don't even have a place in at the moment. And so what's it going to do? Well, I got an end around uh, that uh, when my name got tossed in for uh, playing with the Dukes of September via Boz Skaggs, when Donald went looking for any point of reference as to who I was, the only thing that existed on the internet was clips from the Modern Drummer Festival. Right? Wow. So, so right there is a perfect uh, you know, microcosm of how life can be. Do the thing that's uncomfortable. You may not, more times than not, the thing that you don't quite see the full trajectory of are the best things because when you have too much control over it, you'll limit the scope of what the possibility of the outcome is, you know? So when it's uncomfortable, uh, step into that, lean into that and, 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 and do it. And that's how you grow and learn anyway. Oh yeah. Big, thank you. You know, that was, but, <laughs> it was well-deserved. Believe me. Oh, I wanted, you know, I've been, I wanted you, you know, at one point I kept throwing your name into the hat, throwing your name into the hat and they were like, but you know, and then you were a little, you know, you, you were like, I don't, I don't really, I can't play with these guys who like, you know, go out there and do. And I was like, no, yeah. I want you to play music. I yeah, want music. Right. Like, right. You know, right. so so you showing up with the band and, and doing it in that setting, I think was 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 perfect. Yeah, man, thank you. That was a great. Before we go on to some more studio, because we're going to talk about, yeah. we're on it that um, we offered that to, and and you agreed to uh, start giving some lessons on on modern drummer, um, how to record drums, how to sure. you know just just the fact of being in the studio, how to record them, how to play them, you know, uh, yeah. be, and and as an engineer and and a producer. But before I, we jump into that. Talking about sessions, any sessions that like songs that you played on that you remember that like you, you really, really like you say, wow, I, I love I wouldn't have changed anything because, you know, when we when we go into play, you always play the record, you only get one or two takes and then it's over. And sometimes you, you hear it and you go, ah, if I would have did it again, maybe I would have did this. Are there any songs that you can think of off the top of your head that just say, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing about that. I love that. that, that, that well. You know, there's there's kind of some nuance to that. There's all there's nothing that I've played that I wouldn't change something about, probably. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but but the the context of all that body of work, um, you know, for for one thing, I'll just talk to, to to everyone here. You know, as far as way I feel about it, I have a true reverence for for the people that influenced me, and I'll just say flatly that to be a session musician in the context of what I've done. And what it is mostly now is not the same context of what it was I aspired to be a part of that I probably would have never been good enough to be a part of, right? Steve Gadd showing up to read the chart for Asia is not the same thing as 
showing up to read, you know, right. to even fake your way through a three chord chart on a lot of, you know, vast majority of the work I was on. Now you're still playing music and you're bringing value to it, you know, but as far as, you know, go, dissecting my, you know, going back, I'd more make a delineation of it, you know, anything pre pro tools, right? Because, uh, the whole nature of how we made records prior to that was listening and interacting. And when you got brought in, when you got an opportunity to play and say, you know, there were musicians and rhythm sections that were working here uh, that I aspired to be in the room with, but it was, you know, Eddie Bears has got that slot covered or Paul Lime or whoever it was at the time. And, and in the absence of editors, people didn't take chances on drummers around here because if you, they usually book records for a week at a time it was double scale. So, you know, they're probably got 60 to 80 grand in musicians fees for a five day window. And if you hire a drummer that wrecks the date, there's no fixing it after the fact, you know what I mean? So it was very difficult to get called in to play at that time. So for me, the stuff that, that, that I, you know, I, I appreciate, or I like the most maybe is the stuff that predates that because not only is it me playing without being altered but everyone else is too and it's the effect that i had on a player with them so you could look at certain rhythm sections on other records and it might be a little clunkier or whatever and then you slide me into the chair and maybe it feels a little different and that was rewarding you know what i mean but uh you know and there that you know, these Tim McGraw records I've made over the last several years here out of Nashville, even going back to there's a record called Two Lanes of Freedom. Uh, all that stuff, my my friend Byron Gallimore produces, and they don't they don't move my drums around, right? And I mean, the vast majority of my stuff isn't moved anyway, because uh, when that started happening a lot, just that process, not just as it pertained to me, I, it, it knocked a lot of the allure for recording off of what it was for me. It's like, what's the point of recording if everything you played is going to get chopped into pieces and it's it's no longer me playing coming through the speakers. So I started stepping away from that then. But these McGraw records, I mean, the last record we made here at my studio was all cut to tape, you know, so it's it's real. You know, you can trust that you're hearing of. And that's all it is for me. I guess if I've put any value in things, it's like back to the Mike McDonald record. It's like one thing I, I, I would I would not want to make every record that way where I can't punch anything in. But just the fact that it is absolutely the truth of how I play, love it or hate it, you know what I mean? It, it, those are those are what matters to me. I want to be heard. That's what that's right. all any of us want to record for. I want to be heard, you know. Yeah, and 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 um, that's what I love about Nashville so much. Still to this day, is really it, they've taken over as far as there's still studios. There's still musicians who know how to play together, like you mentioned, a rhythm section. You know, yeah. that's a big part of the way that record comes out and the way that record feels. You know, you can tell when something is chopped up and punched in and, you know, and there's a place for that, of course. It's according to what the song is about or what you're doing. But the majority of the records that become huge, successful hits, usually, especially coming out of Nashville, which is where most of the hits have been coming out of now, they're all, it's not a band, but the rhythm section is like a band because they're used to playing on record to record. Yeah, you did do have a lot of that here. Um, and yeah, I mean, just as far as, you know, the last bastion of, of, of uh, communities where people are actually put in a room together to play, uh, it still happens here more often than not, but just because 
you know, you would think the music is somewhat predicated on acoustic and live instruments, but I will say, you know, the vast majority of what's been coming out of here for the last four or five years, the way I'd say it maybe sounds heavy handed, but it doesn't have an honest note in it. There's literally not, you know, two consecutive eighth notes coming out the speaker that were actually played the way you're hearing them. And that's right. a fact. I, I, and that's unfortunate because uh, I watched the, the CMT countdown every weekend and yeah. I like, I kind of liked the new song with, uh, Keith Urban and I forget the other gentleman that that's yeah, yeah but it it's programmed so I'm listening to it and I know they want to sound contemporary and I you know I and I know they're trying to cross the bridge and you know get the gap and get that but then I'm listening and I'm saying to myself now that's a great loop all you're really hearing is the bass drum more than anything else yeah. I was waiting for the drums to kick in at one point now why wouldn't the drums kick in at one point? I mean, I, I didn't produce that record. I don't know who produced that record. Um, I, 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 but I couldn't, to me, that disappointed me because yeah. it would have brought it to the next level and it still would have sounded contemporary, but it wouldn't have like started this trend now, which I'm afraid might happen is like, uh-oh, now stuff out of Nashville that was known and, and everybody embraced for playing live. Now that's going to start to sound like every other record that's on, on the radio. There's some of that. I mean, you're, you're right. Uh, uh, oddly enough, I, I did. I cut a couple of tracks. I don't know if that, you know, you go on and you record things. You don't know if they'll come out. And I don't do that many dates in town anymore for the reasons I already mentioned. I, I mean, I basically put out a directive like, don't call me if you're going to cut me up. I just right. I don't want to do it, you know, but I did do a couple of tracks with uh, Keith I did, uh, back in the, about a month or six weeks ago. And it was everything you're talking about. It was full, it was stacked up with drums. I had Tom <laughs> overdubs and the choruses. Yeah. And, oh, that's you know, great. So hopefully going the other way. But but yeah, it's definitely become that. I mean, honestly, uh, I don't want to bore your audience to death, but you know, Nashville sort of has an identity crisis about country music and wanting to be something it's not. So it's borrowing from these other genres. And I said years ago as a cynical session player here, it's like, you know, if country can't be what it is, which doesn't matter to me, I'm just playing sessions I show up to play. If it's just mirroring pop and chasing pop, well, pop doesn't have any live instrumentation on it anymore. And here we are kind of showing up with the, you know, if it's always chasing another genre that it wishes it was instead of what it is, then right. you run out of uh, bandwidth at some point, you know? So I hear that I hear that you're getting a lot, a lot of sessions though, because you make unbelievable ribs. <laughs> yeah no, that's me <laughs> yeah no man if, if only you know what uh, everybody's uh, telling me about these shannon forest ribs <laughs> right <laughs> i don't even know what that is <laughs> <I> like that <laughs> barbecue yes right oh man right, so well, before we before we go and i and i yeah. thank you so much because i know you've been busy because we've been trying to get together and trying to, and trying to do this yeah. and i and we'll i'm happy that you work but i appreciate that you know no i'm happy that you're busy because we it, 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 it's a good thing now and you yeah. know so that's a good thing but before we go um tell us a little bit about what you hope to accomplish giving your lessons and and what you know teaching people well, you know, I mean, basically, more so, I've never, I've never really been comfortable with teaching and things like that. It's been, uh, people have asked me about it over the years. I look around here, and, and what we're all trying to do, and I encourage anybody out there, there's so many people that, that can use social media. It is sort of the new uh, 
it's the future of, of kind of how we get discovered and heard, like it or not, you know what I mean? Uh, and the good thing about it is it, it, is it, it kind of gives the same bandwidth to everyone. All you have to have is an identity and something to say that's unique enough to, to, to be uh, compelling to people or, or you know, rouse their curiosity or have some experience that they want to look into. And so for me, it's not so lofty as wanting to do anything other than I've always financed my own music basically through one avenue of playing my drums for other people, right? And so in trying to bring more um, traction to, to an awareness of my facility and the other things I do, I'm just gonna sit down here and kind of walk you through what I do and let you have a look in, you know? And it's, um, you know, and in that part uh, as a, a communal thing, you know, if there's an interest into what I'm doing, again, it's, it's really difficult for, you know, to get that uh, attraction on that thing, figuring out the methodology and, and, and scheduling it out to be, you know, consistent enough with it to, to, to be present enough to uh, stay on people's radar. But, you know, I mean, just really just whatever I happen to be doing a particular day, like, well, watch me do a session. I'll, talk, I'll break that down. That's one of the first things I'm going to do. I got permission from a, a, a friend of mine to use some of his, uh, you know, unreleased compositions as a, a way to walk you through the process. People want to, you know, know how I mic my drums. We can talk about phase. I want to talk about playing. I mean, I know I do these things and we, we talk very little about playing, but I am going to at least, you know, put out there the things that kind of made me, uh, the approach that I've taken from other drummers that influenced me that seems to not be the most prevalent piece of information that's out there. There's a million people out there that are playing and dissecting and teaching and playing a million rudiment based things. And, and there's a den of people that, you know, it's like the fact is, is sequences of notes can sound identical if there's nothing uniquely you about how you're doing it. And there's a lot of that. So if I can bring something to uh, perspective and lay on people that look the nuance and, and your DNA is inside the inner dynamics of things and the swing of things, then I'm going to go into that some is from the perspective that I have on it, you know? Yeah, well, well I want to thank you because we're, we're honored to have you. And um, I know me and you have, have spoken about this and I don't, I, that's why I want you because I, I was never one in school and teaching, you know, I don't like the term teacher, you know, and I know that, that you're uncomfortable and you said it, which yeah. was great. And that's what I love about you because I want, the way I learned, I was able to play hooky, go to the studio, befriend like Shelly Yakis at the record plant and yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frank Tabino at Atlantic. And I got to watch at, 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 I met Steve Ferroni when I was 14 years old. I watched him record Average White Band. Yeah. You know, I sat in the corner, they told me, don't say a word, you know, if you have to get out, just get out. But that's the way you learn. And so yeah. by having you, that's what I want. I want, I want people, especially the younger generation who will come up and coming and learning. And even the guys like me that have been playing forever that still don't know. You, you, everybody wants to learn, you know, yeah. watching. That's like you did with dad, just yeah. being there watching. So to yeah. you to open up the doors and let everyone in to watch you do your thing, no, you know, man. Well, hopefully, hopefully it'll, you know, it, it'll be uh, uh, something enlightening and, and that for, you know, again, I think when you look at the way records can be made, and this is what we'd be talking about, whether records in the sense of some commercial way or not, if you're playing on recordings of your own music, you know, uh, how to avoid like 
quantizing and sound replacing things to make it sound like you're more proficient player than you are, it's not getting you anywhere in the end because everyone has access to those same ways of workarounds or cheats, if you will, toward a certain end result. It's like if you're at home and you're working on double bass drum, but you can play fast, but with no velocity, but you're going to sample, replace everything and quantize to make it sound like, hey, dude, you know, you and everybody in every drum store walking in can do that too. Eventually, you're going to have to learn how to do some things that give you your own unique space. And everyone has that available to them. You know, so it's, it's our limitations that kind of define our own personal sound, not the full, you know, all encompassing how, how much can we keep pressing our technical development. It's, it's, it's how do we use that nuance of where our own limitations lie to define the sound of what we are. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, I'm looking forward to the series. I, I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah, well, cool. listen, thank, thank you so, so much for taking this time because I, I know, like I said, I, I know how busy you are. Um, you Great know, to I'm catch like, up uh, with you. Hello to everybody and thanks for listening, you know. Yes, I want to thank everyone. Um, I guess we will see you next week. Um, yep. Not a Michael Walden usually does every other week, but he's out on the road now being a rock star with Journey. So right he, has, yeah. he yeah. hasn't been doing his podcast. So uh, Nada, hello Nada. We yeah. gotta, I know you're working Nada, but you, we got to get you back uh, to give me a break. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, cool. thank you, Shannon. Thank you everyone out there. Tune in, Modern Drama. We'll see you soon. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.